Amen. Let's give the Lord a praise offering. God is good. Thank you, worship team. Uh, we started last week with the series God Is, and Pastor Sam led us off dealing with the sovereignty of God. I was so encouraged seeing him preaching and bringing the word. I uh, hope your heart was encouraged as well. When we began to talk about this series, God Is, uh, it, it gave me a little bit of PTSD, I'll be honest with you, and that is because when I went to be uh, credentialed through, through our uh, licensing organization, the, one of the first questions they asked me was, can you define God? Uh, start off with an easy one. Uh, no is the answer. I can't define God. If I could define God, I'm pretty sure I would be God. I can tell you a little bit about God. I can tell you what he was like. I can tell you some of his attributes. But God is infinite. He's indescribable. Words are so shallow compared to who he is. Like, I can't fully communicate that. Define God? Uh, the creator? I don't know. Like, everything just seems short. And this series, God Is, kind of took me back to that place of going, we're going to do our best to get into the word and recognizing that we know we're going to come just a little bit short because we can't fully communicate all that God is. And so we're going to give some uh, things that we understand from the scripture and through all of it, our hope is that we learn to lean into God a little more, that that our relationship with God is deepened, that we learn to trust him even better. And, and I, I think we will. Today we're going to deal with the holiness of God. I have a video that I'm going to narrate for you in just a moment. Throughout this video, what you're going to see is you're, you're going to meet Luis. And uh, uh, Luis is a young lady and you're, you're, going to, you're going to meet her. And then it's going to pull away. And we're going to start to see a broader perspective of all that God is aware of and all that he knows. And then we're going to zoom back in and we're going to see even more of what God sees from a different perspective. This video is not a uh, Christian video that was put out. Um, and so I would just like to narrate it for you. This is Luis. And she is a lovely lady whom God created in his own image. In his image, he created her, and he loves her. But not just her, everything around her, he knows intimately and is fully aware of everyone in that county, in that state, in that whole region, in the whole world. God is very aware of who they are. Not just that, but he is also aware of the moon and the moon cycle and how the moon interacts with the earth and how it affects each person. He's aware of the inner planets and the outer planets. He put them in motion. He designed them. In fact, all things were created by him and for him. He's aware of the inner cloud of the sun the stars, the neighboring stars. He's very aware of them and intimately knows them. He knows 
why they are placed the way that they are, how they affect people. He's aware of the Milky Way and he created it. Not just that, but also the entire galaxy group, the supercluster, and also the cosmic web. God created it. And just as much as God knows Luis, he knows this cosmic web and everything in it. But God has something special. He doesn't just know about Luis. He knows everything about her in ways that she's not even conscious. Ways that she doesn't even think about regularly. God is very aware of. And it doesn't exhaust him to consider everything that's going on within her. Not just mentally literally at the cellular level. God put things in motion. Her white blood cells. He knows them. He placed them there. The DNA, God fixed it. And hers are unique. And he knows it. God is intimately aware of all things connected to her. At the subatomic level, God is aware and he knows and again it doesn't exhaust him not just for louise but for each of us the creator god is intimately aware and it is not hard for him to be aware of louise and be aware of you and be aware of the galaxy clusters god interacts with them all he can do that because he is separate he is different than all of creation. He is the creator. Because he is separate, it is a term that we often refer to as holy. What is holy? It's a good question. And as I said, it, in general terms, it means separate. But I, I love how it connects to God. Specifically, Sam Storms gives this great quote. He says, the holiness of God only secondarily refers to his moral purity. His righteousness of character, it primarily points to his infinite otherness. To say that God is holy is to say that he is transcendentally separate. Holiness is not one attribute among many. It is not like grace or power or knowledge or wrath. Everything about God is holy. Each attribute partakes of divine holiness. His Wrath is holy, it's separate, it's different than all of creation. His wisdom is holy, it's separate, it's different than all of creation. His grace is holy, is separate, is different than all of creation. And it's all bound together in God's holiness. To say that God is holy... <laughs> is in many ways underwhelming. Of course he's holy. But we've only got a snapshot, a video model of space, right? That he could, at the cellular level, be aware of us uh, knowing what is happening at the cellular level. Anybody else wonder, hey, how is my DNA doing right now? Like, what, what's happening with my chromosomes? Like, no, we don't think like that. Uh, but God is aware of it. And at the same time, he can zoom out and look at this cosmic web and go, yep, I know why it's there. I have ordained it this way and be intimately involved. But that's just space. 
God is also like that with time, just like God is present with Adam in this moment. He is present with me in this moment, and he is present at his return in this moment. Time is not bound by, and he can see each situation individually and corporately. God is holy and unique, separate than all of creation. His ways are clearly not our ways. They are different. In fact, we see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, uh, a reference to the Old Testament. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So this holy, separate God is calling his people into the separateness. And that's pretty amazing. In just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to take 15 seconds. 15 seconds to consider who God is. 15 seconds before we spend time in prayer. Because I, I believe a couple of things. One thing is that when we come into the presence of this holy God, this amazing God, there is a dynamic change that occurs in us, right? Like we see God for who he is and how we're lacking. We'll talk about that more in a moment. And there's a response to that, a humility that comes in that place of being in God's presence. But also, I would say there is sometimes a familiarity that breeds contempt within us as we go before God flippantly. God, uh, I want this, I need that. Would you do this? Would you do that? God, I, I, I. And we forget about the holiness of who he is, his separateness from all of creation. That in the throne room of God, it's identified in Isaiah and in Revelation, in the throne room of God, there are angels going, holy, holy, holy. And yet we pray, and God is not distracted by angels shouting, holy, holy, holy. And he is able to go, yes, Kenny, I hear you, and I hear you. And he's not distracted by me and hearing you. And he's not exhausted. Oh, it's been a long day, Kenny. Could you just wait five minutes? No. God's not like that. An amazing God that we serve. And his holiness is something that we often don't consider. So I'd like to take 15 seconds now before we go into a time of prayer to just consider God's holiness. That we don't just walk into his presence, this prayer time, flippantly. Would we consider God now? Almighty God, you are so good. I'm so thankful that you have time for us. <clears throat> A God who is aware of every cell and every organism throughout this universe, uh, Lord, and yet at the same time, you care for me. I'm, I'm in awe. And Lord, I, I come before you today and I, I would just ask that you would do something that we we haven't earned, we don't deserve, but Lord, would you, <clears throat> by your power today, would you remove the veil, 
between earth and heaven in this moment that we could glimpse in at your holiness and much like Moses who can't see your face, Lord, just just if we could see a glimmer, we recognize that you dwell in unapproachable light, Lord, and, and, and we come into this place where we, we haven't deserved it, we, we can't earn this, but Lord, if, if we could just get a vision of you, if we could see where you have been, perhaps it would help us, Lord, in trusting you where you're taking us and where we're going. We need you, and we love you, And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. The day had finally come. The king was dead. He died having leprosy in the last chapter of his life. But before that, he was a mighty ruler, a great king who brought both peace and prosperity through military might. But he was dead now. And there were questions about what would happen in the kingdom. Who would lead? How would things go? Who would protect them? And a young man goes into the temple. And as he walks into the temple, the veil between heaven and earth is removed. And he gets to see something that he had never seen nor could have imagined. And as he walks in, he sees the Lord, high and exalted. And the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. And he's in awe as he sees these creatures that he's unfamiliar with, these creatures with six wings that two would cover their faces before this holy God and his throne, and two would cover their feet, and two they would fly. And this holy God is so holy, they dare not even call to him, but they call to one another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And in in this moment, this young man has a response that it would do us well to consider. His response is this. He says, woe, woe to me. That word in English is pretty simple, but the way that it's used, it means like, I'm dead. It's over. I'm done. I'm not walking out of here. Uh, it, is, it is a sign of like this, this grief that is poured out. Uh, I wondered how it would happen. Now I know this is how I'm going to die right here in the temple. Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And an angel of the Lord comes with a coal from the altar and touches him with it and cleanses him and atones him, makes him at one with God. It's the work of God that touches him in his state of humility. And that could be juxtaposed to this King Uzziah that had just passed away. King Uzziah, he came before Uh, the Lord arrogantly and wanted to do some work that was specifically for the priests and specifically the altar of incense. And in that place, the priests confront him. And when they confront King Uzziah, uh, he has no repentance. And the Lord in that moment gives him leprosy. And he's separated from the rest 
of the country from that moment on, though he, he reigns and rules, he's not with his people until he dies. But Isaiah is in front of God and the work of God in that place of humility because Uzziah sees God for who he is and responds in kind, I am a sinner. I am a man of uncleanness. This holy God, I don't deserve to be in this place. He's touched with a coal. And he is made at one with God because of God's work and sent on mission. It reminds me a little bit of another story in the scriptures. In Exodus chapter 32, the children of Israel have created this golden calf and they call this golden calf God. This God has rescued us. Elohim has rescued us from Egypt and he has set us free. And it made sense because that's exactly how the world around them would do things. But God is not like the world around them. He is separate from all of creation. He is uniquely different than everything within creation. And there are consequences. And initially in this conversation that God is having with Moses, God says, maybe what I should do is just destroy them and start over with you, Moses. And Moses, in that like manner of being in front of a holy God, goes, no, no, don't do that. You Strike me down, blot me out. But as for this nation, don't do this thing. And the reason is, we don't want the nations of the world looking back and saying, he just took them to the wilderness to kill them. And then he says, in chapter 33, Show me your glory. <laughs> if I could just see you, God, it'll be all better. If I could just know you, if I could just see your face, could I do that? God, show me your glory. And God says, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. But no one can see my face and live. Therefore, Moses, I'll put you in the cleft of a rock. And as I walk by, you can see my backside or more specifically, where I have been. You can see it. And Moses does. He's transformed and challenged. Because there is something about peeking in and seeing God for who he is that makes us reevaluate things. Be holy as I am holy. God is calling us to a life of holiness in him that we can't have in and of ourselves. But let's take a little bit of time this morning and let's look and see what, what does make God holy. This is not an exhaustive list. We're not going to even get into the attributes of God, which would also be a helpful conversation. But we're going to look at this list of six things that makes God holy, unique, separate, and how he calls us to himself in all of this. First of all, it's his uniqueness. He's set apart and singular. Listen how it's stated in Isaiah 44, 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. There is nothing but me. And in our culture today, we might very easily go, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it's not like we go to Walmart, find an idol on the shelf, go ahead and bring that home put it in the middle of our living room and worship it. That's just not our culture. That's not how we do it. However, we might go to the mirror and start worshiping there, that image. 
We might, we might go to the mirror and start to think about um, how valuable that person in the mirror is. And in that place where we start to replace God with ourself, there is a God that is formed and it is self. And in that place, maybe we even remove God off of his throne. I know the angels are circled around and they're yelling, holy, holy, and holy, but I'm kind of a big deal, God, and maybe I should sit on this throne. We would never say it like that, but that's exactly what we do. God is holy and is separate, and his uniqueness is what makes him holy. Like, even in the video that we saw, I couldn't fathom everything that was being presented. Like, I, I only got glimpses of, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. But space and time, I, 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 I can't make that work in my head. And we're dealing with light years, and I don't even understand what a light year is. Like, there's all this stuff in this video to help us kind of get the idea. But God's dealing with the real thing, and he gets the idea. And by the way, in the midst of him getting the idea, he's not exhausted in it. He doesn't go... Oh, that was that's hard to figure out. That hurts my head. And he doesn't do that. He's unique, and he alone is God. In fact, Isaiah also records the words of God when he says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not share with another, including your image and my image. God is holy, and his unique his uniqueness sets him apart. Not just that. But God's transcendence also sets him apart. Meaning he is uh, beyond com human comprehension. He is beyond human comprehension. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And if... If you could change that person in the video with time, and if we were dealing with time, that God's dealing with the now, but he can also deal with the past, and he's also dealing with the future, and like, like that is also true of God. If we could do that, and if we could understand that, maybe it would be helpful in those moments in our lives where things happen. Why did this happen, God? How could this happen to me? Oh, this is the worst thing ever. And that, that maybe in those places, God is going, no, no, no. You're at a crossroads right here. It's faith or fear. And you're at a crossroads. You can trust me in faith and watch and see how all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Or you can walk in fear and deal with the consequences of death. But you're at this intersection and you got this choice. And if we were able to pull back from this moment in time and look to see what happens in two months, in five months, in 10 years, in 200 years if the Lord tarries, like, we might have a different perspective of this intersection of faith and fear altogether. We might see that this moment in time is exactly what is directing us into the place that we need to be so that God will do a work at this time for this person for his goodwill and pleasure. His ways are not our ways. Our ways are not his ways. And, and it is absolutely true that as we consider those those facts. That as we come to these places of faith and fear, 
that God is absolutely faithful in those places. Where we could see, we could almost hear him say, watch and see what I'll do. You don't think there's enough money? Watch and see what I can do. Uh, you, you, you think that this sickness is going to stop you? Watch, watch and see what I can do. You think this job is going to stop my will from taking place? Watch and see what I'll do. Not just transcendent, but God is immutable. Uh, meaning he doesn't change. Meaning he doesn't change. Let's look at these two passages. Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, are, are not consumed. Good news for you, because if I changed, you'd be in a lot of trouble. If I were an emotional God who just responded to you in an emotional sort of way, you'd be in big trouble, but I'm unchanging. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, Hebrews 13.8. The fact that God is unchanging is a very big deal. It means that he is enough. He is fully mature. There is no growth that needs to occur for him as God. He's not like a small God and is going to become a bigger God. That's not how it works. He is completely, absolutely God and has all things that he needs. He's not getting smarter. He's not learning more things. Like, oh, as I'm looking at this cluster of planets, I just noticed, nope, he doesn't do that. Uh, He is already aware of it. Not just that, but he's also not like some of you who have had to deal with alcoholic parents, who at some point, everything was great. They were fine. Uh, But then they started to drink and things changed. And you were constantly trying to decide, okay, can I say this with my parent right now? Have they, are, they, are they drunk? Are they going to respond in a hurtful way? Some of you grew up in toxic situations where you were scared to say what you thought uh, for fear of the consequences of that moment. God's not like that. He is, he is absolutely full of love. He is absolutely full of wisdom. He is absolutely full of knowledge. And everything is held together in his holiness. Everything is affected and infected by his utter separateness from creation. And that should give us a lot of room to be thankful. Because here's the deal. God can't love you any more than he already loves you. And he can't love you any less. What does that mean? That means you can't earn it. That means you can't mess it up. And that maybe is different than the way you grew up. What a good God we serve. He is full like that. Now, there are certainly consequences. We know all that. But this God, oh, how he loves. And he is unchanging. Additionally, God's revelation reminds us of his separateness. He's beyond subjectivity. Uh, What do we mean by that? You know, subjectivity is like, um, I'll give you an example. Uh, This has happened several times, and I'm I'm giving kind of multiple stories brought together here. But someone said, uh, I asked God to reveal himself to me. Cool. How how, How did he do? He did. There was a light that shined in my window, and it fell on the floor, and there was a cross, and I knew that was God. Maybe. But also that could have been there any time. It's subjective. Is that God? Is that not God? Uh, but there is this God who showed up in physical form. In fact, 
our, our calendar is divided in two because of it, before Christ and Anno Domini, right? In the year of our Lord, uh, separated because there is this historical fact that God showed up in the flesh. Not just that, but this God who showed up in the flesh, he lived a perfect life. Not just that, but the, the Romans crucified him. Not, not just that, but he rose from the dead proving that he is God. And extending life to anybody. It is a historical fact. It is not subjective. It is not subjective in any way. Additionally, we might also look at the nation of Israel, this group of people that God said, you know what? This is a special sort of people. And the reason they're special is because through this nation, I'm going to reveal myself to all nations. Like, I'm going to do a unique work with this people, and as they surrender to me, when they come to those roads of faith and fear, and they choose faith, they're going to be blessed. And there are going to be consequences when they don't. And this nation of Israel sees this, and it happens over and over again. And they come to this intersection where they're dispersed. 70 AD, the walls come down in the temple area. It's illegal for people to be in Jerusalem, to inhabit Jerusalem for 70 years. As a slap in the face, the emperor calls the land Palestine. Uh, he, he does it as a slap towards uh, Israel to remind them of the Philistines. And this people that is they're now uh, spread out throughout the world, 2,000 years later, nearly 2,000 years later, 1,800 years, they're brought back together. How unique is that? Like that has never happened in the history of the world that we're aware of. Not just that, but this dead language that had gone away comes back. Isn't it unique that it is the very group of people that God said, I'm going to do something with them so that the world can know that I am God. Isn't that pretty unique? We've been tracing our genealogy recently and we've been able to go back far enough where we we've found family members who are part of nations that no longer exist like that nation doesn't exist anymore that people doesn't exist anymore they've intermarried with other people in the region they've formed new nations and that what what whatever group of people that is they're dynamically different uh sounding looking group of people than they are today like it's just different this nation, God has uniquely done a work there. It's not subjective. Like, that's, that's objective. That's reality. We can look historically at that, and that makes God uniquely different. Additionally, God's creation, he's purposeful and intentional. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This God who exists outside of creation did a work with creation. Uh, that's worth noting. It makes him holy and separate. Finally, God's people, God's people. Uh, God has this group of people, as I've stated, 2,000 years ago nearly, there is this situation. Ephesians talks about it, a mystery. What is the mystery? The suddenly God is available for all nations. God is going to do a work, not, 
not just in one location, but all over the world. He's going to do a work where people are going to have access to him in new ways and fresh ways that uniquely and miraculously he's going to bring himself into their presence where they will have access to the King of kings and Lord of lords to surrender to the Holy One, the one who came in the flesh, who died on the cross for their sins, who conquered sin and death, rose from the grave, and uniquely has called them to himself. And those who are born again are a part of a new family. That's the holiness of God at work. And it is the only way that we can enter into God's holiness because we're just not that great in and of ourselves. We can't do it. So what do we do? Where do we go from here? Let me suggest a couple of action steps for us. Uh, One is cultivate a lifestyle of holiness through prayer and scripture meditation. That we would take time this week spending uh, time in prayer. I would encourage you to take 15, 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, just before you enter into a time of prayer and just contemplate who God is. God, before I speak a word, (laughs) in my mind, before I speak a word to that holy God, I want to just think about who he is, how good he is, this creator God, who's amazing, who loves me, who's called me to himself, who, despite the angels surrounding him, shouting, holy, 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 cares enough for this, this Hoosier. Like, <laughs> wow, God, you're good. I want to think on that before I say a word to you and then to respond in faith to him. I, I would also encourage you with this. Okay, this is, this is a big one. One person has taken me up on this, and uh, that is this. This week... Uh, I want to I encourage you to take another step. And that is, wherever you have your cell phone, have your Bible with you. If you take your cell phone into a meeting, then take your Bible with you into the meeting. If you take your cell phone to bed with you, then you should take your Bible to bed with you. Like, uh, see what happens. Give yourself 24 hours of that discipline. See what happens uh, as you consider the holiness of God. And then finally, Intentional pursuit of holiness in daily decisions. An an intentional pursuit of holiness in daily decisions. As we come to these crossroads and we go, I I have a choice here. Am I going to choose fear or will I choose faith? As I consider this God who is holy, 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 what will my choice be? As I consider the fact that he is intimately aware with everything from head to toe, not just in me, but all of us, and not just all of us in here, but all of us in the world, and not just all of us in the world, but all of us in the universe, not just in the universe, but the galaxy, and he is so aware of everything. When I consider that, God, you know what? Maybe it's not that hard to trust him with my job, to trust him with my marriage, to trust him with my kids, to trust him uh, with my money. Maybe he's smarter than I am. Maybe he is more aware than I am. And maybe he cares for me even more than I care for myself. I want to leave you with that thought as we go into a time of communion. Communion is for the believer. And I I love this as we consider the holiness of God in this moment um, uh, because it makes us do something. It makes us remember this God who came in the flesh, who gave his body as a sacrifice for us, who offered his blood as an atoning sacrifice for us. 
I, I love that we participate, we consume him, right? It's like that's the picture. I, he's my sustenance. I need him. Like he is, he is my life. And I need him, the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. That needs to be what fills me, that gives me life as I serve others. It's a beautiful picture. At Friendship, we, um, we practice what's called open communion. Open communion means that you don't have to be a member of Friendship Church, but you do have to be a member of the body of Christ, meaning that you've surrendered to Jesus as your Savior. Additionally, we're reminded in scriptures that we need to examine ourselves. Is there any unconfessed sin? As we stand before this holy God, as we worship this holy God, we start to go, well, wait a minute. Nope, I've, I've, I've gone off a little bit here. It's not good compared to other people. It's how do I compare to God and he's holy in ways that my moral character is not. And so I'm going to confess that. And repent and turn to him. Communion is a time when we do that. You are welcome to go to the carpeted areas and go around to the stations nearest you. And get both elements and return to your seat on the outer aisle. And then Pastor Jason will uh, lead us in a time of communion at the end of the next worship song. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, I... I love you, and I am so thankful for you, and I'm, I'm trying to understand you more. I'm trying to experience you more in my own life, and Lord, for us as a church, that we would know you better and walk more closely with you. Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand in our daily walk with you? Would you, Lord, would you just separate that veil for us that we could look into heaven and get a glimpse of you? And in getting a glimpse of you, would, might we say, woe to us, for we are a people of unclean lips, and we fellowship among people of unclean lips. And so, Lord, would you do a work in us? Would you just touch us by the work of Christ that we would be made one with you, that we would be forgiven and set free? That, Lord, joining in on your work, we would be made one, even as you prayed. Lord, in John 17, you said, Father, make them one as you and I are one, that the world may know that you sent me. Lord, would that be true even today? Would we experience that oneness in you for your good glory? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.